All right. If you'll open up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. I'll give you a minute to open up to that. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. The title of the message today is A Passover with Jesus. Because remember, this is the week of Passover as far as Jesus is concerned as we're reading through Mark. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return, walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man, and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Riddenbacher was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel (laughs) ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane into the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The largest raft was 9 by 5, the biggest shark, 10 feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, one proved most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, the rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep off some of the glare, I dozed off. Now this is still Captain Riddenbacher talking. Something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at this gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught that seagull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used as bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of one lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. And you know that Captain Eddie made it. And now you also know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening after sunset on a lonely stretch of along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent. His bucket filled with shrimp was to feed the gulls, to remember that one day, long ago, one gave itself without a struggle, like manna in the wilderness. Can you remember a time in your life where something so significant happened to you, it changed your life forever? And you'll never forget it. That day in my life, I'll wait, I can probably think of a couple of them. Uh, one was uh, after I had gotten pneumonia. I, was, I still remember sitting in the uh, cafeteria at school. I had gotten pneumonia and my bill at the hospital was, I don't know, like $7,000 or something like that. And I'm in school, I, can't, I, don't, I wouldn't have $7,000 to my name for years and years after that point. 
But I had applied to get financial aid through the hospital, and I'll never forget sitting in the cafeteria that morning, opening up my mail, and I had received a full write-off from the hospital from their charity care program, and I never will forget that. There are things that happen to us that we're never going to forget. There are things that happen to us that keep us moving forward. And in Captain Rittenbacher's life, it was that seagull who offered itself as a sacrifice to him and his crewmates so that they could survive. And he never forgot that. And as a memorial to that seagull, every Friday he would go and feed the seagulls. Did you know that in the Old Testament... There was something so dramatic that happened, so significant in the life of the Israelites that it would be something that God would command them to do year after year, every year as a memorial to what had happened that night was the Passover. Exodus chapter 12. As you remember back in the book of Exodus, the Israelites had spent... About 400 years in Egypt, they were slaves to the Egyptians, they felt the bondage and they wanted to leave. And so through Moses and his brother Aaron, God delivered the ten plagues to Egypt to get his people to leave. The last of the plagues, as you remember, was the death of the firstborn. But how did the Israelites keep their children safe? You remember? put the blood on the door. If you sacrifice the animal and you put the blood on the doorpost, when the angel of death would pass over your house, if he saw the blood on your doorpost, in other words, if you did what God asked you to do and he sees the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over you. Therefore, it is now known as the Passover. That was a very significant time when God demonstrated to his people that he was serious about what he was doing. He was going to kill the firstborn in all of Egypt and all you had to do was everything he asked. Just kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then they had a special meal that they would prepare. And God said that this is going to be something that I want you to remember, that I, the Lord your God, brought you out of Egypt And I want you to do this as a remembrance to me every year from here on out. But as you remember, the sacrifice of bulls and goats and sheep, turtle doves and whatever, the sacrifices of those animals was never good enough to take away sins. If only there was a sacrifice that could be made that would not only cover sins, but take them away entirely. If only there was a sacrifice that could be made at the Passover that could do that. Wouldn't you know it, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem at Passover. You remember what John the Baptist said at the start of Jesus' public ministry? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus died on Passover. It's almost as if like he knew what he was doing, like God knew what he was doing to have Jesus die at the Passover so that if you would believe in him, God would pass over you. And today, we're going to share that Passover meal 
with Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. God wants you to experience the Passover meal with Jesus. Now there's three actions taken by Jesus at this Passover meal. Let's read this and I'll see if you can find them as well. Starting at verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man you will meet, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? He answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me into the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Three actions taken by Jesus at the Passover meal. Number one, verses 12 through 16, we see Jesus sending. We see Jesus sending. Second action taken by Jesus at the Passover meal, verses 17 through 21. Jesus is shocking. I suspect you were shocked by what he said, just as they were. And then verses 22 through 26, we see Jesus serving. We see Jesus serving. So Jesus is sending, shocking, and serving as we spend this Passover meal with him. So it was on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So now it's time to have the Passover meal. If you want to go back to the Old Testament, there's a lot of instruction. I'm not going to take the time. If you would love to do that, you just go right ahead. And you can read all about the Passover meal, the elements of the Passover meal, when it's to be done, how it's to be done, how it's to be made, and there's all sorts of ritual involved in eating the Passover. But it took a lot of effort to prepare this thing, and there were 13 of them, including Jesus, that were going to eat this, so they just couldn't have just any little room. So he sent two of his disciples, go into the city, and a man you will meet a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now, how could they possibly know of all of the people carrying pitchers of water on their head that this one guy would be the guy that they're looking for? Well, it was actually probably very easy because in those days, it was not men who carried pitchers of water on their head. That was a woman's job. Now, that might sound very sexist to us in the 21st century, but 
we got to think biblically here. Like this, back in these days, this is how it worked. Back in those days, it was the women who carried the pitchers of water on their head. So if you saw a man with a pitcher of water on his head, boy, that would stick out to you like a sore thumb. You would notice that immediately. Like, what is this guy doing with a pitcher of water on his head? That's your guy. That's who you need to talk to, Jesus says to these two. Talk to him. And now the tradition says that this guy is Mark's father. Mark, like Mark chapter 14, like Mark's father. Can we prove that? I don't know. Probably not. But that's what tradition says, that this is Mark's father. Maybe it is. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. And the teacher says, where is the guest room which we may eat the Passover with the disciples? And so the disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus sent these two to do a very specific thing. They found the room, and now they're going to go start to prepare. So verse 17, and the evening came with the twelve. And as they sat and ate, Jesus said, now here's something really shocking. Because imagine, you're just sitting there just enjoying a Passover meal. You know you're supposed to do this. There's all sorts of ritual involved in it. A lot of very specific food you're supposed to eat in very specific ways. And you're sitting there with Jesus himself. And you're going to have a Passover feast with Jesus. Like you're probably ready. Like, like, I can't wait for this. This is like everything we've ever wanted as Jews is to like sit with the Messiah and have Passover. Like this is fantastic. Unfortunately, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Can you imagine the shock, the horror that the disciples felt like? Who's, who, which, who's, who could possibly even begin to think about betraying Jesus? Now, back in these days, if you were to share a meal with somebody, that was the height of trust. In other words, For Jesus to eat with these 12 disciples demonstrated a very high capacity, a high tolerance for trust that he had for these 12 disciples. To think that in the midst of all of this trust and eating together, that one of them would betray Jesus is absolutely unthinkable. Not even a blip on the radar because this doesn't work this way. You don't eat with somebody and then betray them hours later. This, this, especially like this. This doesn't work this way. The shock, I don't think we can truly understand and appreciate the level of shock. The just You ever hear something that's just so shocking, the blood just runs out of your face and you just turn white? You just go limp and numb? Just shocked that somebody would do this. But that's how the disciples felt. Because you don't have a meal with somebody and then betray them. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Now they're on like Survivor or something. Who is it? Who's the mole? Who's the bad guy? Who's, who are we voting off the island tonight? You know, like what's going to happen now? And they began to say to themselves, is it me? Is it, is it me? Could it be me? And Jesus says to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me into the dish. So not only were they just sitting there eating together, but the one who is going to betray him not only just sits there and eats with him, but is also partaking of the same dish that Jesus is partaking in 
to eat the meal. Absolute horrific betrayal. Horrific betrayal. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. What a pronouncement. Another shocking statement by Jesus. It would have been better for this guy to have never been born. Shocking statements by Jesus. But as we continue in verse 22, we also see Jesus serving. There are things that Jesus expects out of us. There are things that he wants us to do. I was really shocked last night. So Lilia did not want to sleep. She has been terrible the last couple nights. Usually she goes to sleep, I don't know, maybe 8 o'clock or something like that. It was 9.30. The other night it was after 10. What is this little girl's problem? I just want her to go to sleep. Like, I'm so tired. I just want this baby to go to sleep. Please. And you know what she would do? I saw her give Amy absolute sweetest hug. The sweetest kiss. I mean, you ever get a kiss from a one-year-old? I mean, just the sweetest thing in the world. You know what the problem is? As sweet and as tender as a little kiss and hug from Lilia is, not at 10 o'clock at night when she's supposed to be sleeping, (laughs) there are certain things that we do as people that are sweet and cool and great and wonderful. But are those the things that God wants you to do? Just because something is really sweet, like a hug from a little baby, doesn't mean that's what I want from you. That doesn't mean that's what God wants from you. Oftentimes we confuse these things. I'll say, when did you come to know the Lord? And I hear about your baptism. That's not what is expected from you. I mean, sure, it sounds great, that sounds nice, but there are things that Jesus expects from us. He's now going to institute the Lord's Supper, something that's going to be commanded of us. Now, this is expanded in the other gospel accounts, but here, as we're studying the book of Mark, and we've talked about this before, there are companion texts here that talk about this upper room discourse. The book of John has an enormous section on the upper room discourse. Two, three chapters of upper room discourse with this is that are in the upper room and he's talking, so it's the upper room discourse. But we just get this four or five verses here of the Lord's Supper that Jesus institutes, something that he expects us to do. This is what he wants us to do, and there's a reason why he wants us to do it. And sometimes we just put our arms out thinking that we're just going to give a sweet, cuddly hug. And yes, while that's cute a lot of the time, is that what he wants from us? There's a difference. So Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper here. We're going to see him serving the disciples. 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now there's a lot of confusion here about what Jesus is trying to say. When he says that this is my body, did he like take off some of his bicep and like, is that what happened? He's literally standing right in front of them. (laughs) That's certainly not his body. What is he saying? What is he trying to communicate with the disciples here when he says, take, eat, this is my body. This is symbolic of my body. I want you to remember me. When you eat of this bread, I want you to remember me. Now, this is something that we can do corporately as a church. We've done it in the past. Maybe we should do it more often, huh, Patty? Right? Maybe. Okay. Maybe we should do it more often. But it is something we do as a church. But is this the only time we should be remembering Jesus? I'm going to wager we should be remembering Jesus, his sacrifice. Uh, We should be remembering his love. Uh, We should be remembering who he is and what he's done for us. I don't know. All the time. Not just at church. Not just when we have communion. Well, those are really good times to remember him. I would suggest they're not the only times that we remember Jesus. He says, take, eat. This is my body. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do this in remembrance of me. We need to be remembering Jesus and what he's done. He is not very far removed from the betrayal. He's not very far removed from his time in front of Pilate. And he's definitely not very far away from his death. The book of Luke tells us that after these events, and he goes down into the garden that he sweats drops of blood. The level of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it in Jesus. I can only think about it in like, in, like if it were me. So anxiety-ridden, so nervous. And I'm guessing it probably started up here in the upper room that night when he knew that he was going to be betrayed. And he knew that when this night was over, he's going down into the garden and he, that's when he's, it's, it's all on from that point. The dominoes have been flipped, and there's no stopping it now. You ever flip dominoes? Once you flip that first one, they're going down, if you did it right anyway. <laughs> We're going to assume God has the dominoes set up appropriately. The domino has been flicked. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew something bad was going to happen, or you have to make some phone call, or you have to go someplace? And you know it's going to be bad. And you know it's going to be really, really hard. And you know it's going to be tough. But you got to go and you got to do it anyway. That's how Jesus felt. And he sweat drops of blood down in that garden. The next, well, the next event here. And he goes down into the garden. But at this point, he's instituting this. He's not going to forget to serve his disciples even in the midst of feeling like this. He says, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood, which is the new covenant, 
which is shed for many. I don't think I have time to talk about the new covenant. That probably is its own sermon. But if you'd like to hear more about the new covenant, I'm not, not hard to find. You can ask me about the new covenant and what that means. Um, maybe we'll do it in Sunday school sometime, huh? That'd be fun. We'll talk about the new covenant. He says, take this as the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day, which I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's already looking forward to that day when he's in the kingdom of God, because he's got some tough stuff to go through right now. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That domino has been flicked. It's time to now go down into the garden. Even in the midst of the heartache, heartbreak, in the midst of the betrayal and the treachery of Simon Iscariot, Jesus does not forget to serve I suspect that so many of us, when we get into situations like this, when we get pummeled on all directions, our emotions are running high, one of the last things we think about doing is serving somebody else or doing something for somebody else. And Jesus never lost sight of serving his disciples, even up to the end here in the upper room before his eventual betrayal in the garden. And next week, that's what we're going to think about. The betrayal. We're going to think about Peter denying Jesus. We're going to think about the betrayal in the garden. We're going to think about what does that mean for us. Let's pray.